Just want to share some really, really big news with you guys. The Climb Show Music Business Podcast is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. That's right. We're really excited to be part of this network along with some other amazing podcasts. Podcasts that I have listened to as a fan before they even joined the network. So I'm super stoked about it. Yeah, so make sure you check them out. They're all killer, no filler at americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast or click the link in the episode notes to listen to some of the best shows in music and get your head straight. That's right. Hey, Johnny, go ahead and do your thing. Welcome to the club. And this is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. That's what you're going to need to get ahead. It's not about being the all-talented, diamond in the rough, and meeting the right people that are going to make your dreams come true. You're going to have to do it yourself to get that track record built up, put a little railroad track down, and then they're going to come to you. That's why we called it The Climb creating leverage in the music business that's a backstronym that's genius and that's created by my good friend and co-host here mr brent baxter brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by alan jackson randy travis lady antebellum joe nichols and more and he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro do business like a pro and on the regular he gives you opportunities to connect to the pros to give you that upward mobility and climb that ladder. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yes, it's complicated, but yes, thankfully Johnny is smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S, and there's no S because there is no other. Johnny D. Yellow. What's up, brother? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited today. We got an interview with a songwriter who's just signed his very first publishing deal, and we're going to break it down for you and hopefully leave some breadcrumbs for all you climbers out there that are chasing that yourself. So, yeah. This is like three of the main themes. Local boy does good. David versus Goliath and rags the riches. I'm hoping. And he's also a climber, That's which right. is super exciting. So uh, before we get into that, though, let's take a quick minute here. Just to do a little bit of business. We know it's a digital world out there, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. The shows are going to start back up again here pretty soon. And with digital royalty payments being so small, when you've got CDs on your merch table, vinyl, T-shirts, people are going to buy that stuff as a souvenir, and that's going to be like a major, major mission-critical income generator. That's right. You know, for every CD you sell at a gig, you need about 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. That's a lot of streams. Hey, we love streams. Go get them. But we believe you're leaving money on the table when you don't have merch on the table. So when you're gigging again, have that physical product. And thankfully, our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your disc and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. You can find them online at discmakers.com or give them a call at 800-468-9353. That's 800-468-9353. Right on. Join the Climb community if you haven't done so. This is not the normal Facebook community where everybody's shouting into a corner and the last post you put up six months ago was the next post down on the feed because nobody else is posting. We're very proud of this. It grows every single day. 
And you can ask questions, share stories, share wins. You just got to do it in the right place. Mm-hmm. But it's right there. And you got, listen, this is a group of peers that are all there helping each other. I mean, when somebody asks a marketing question or a songwriting question, by the time Brent and I get in there to take a gander at it, there's already like 15 answers and they're all really good. It's exactly what we would say. So lately, most of my answers are just the the emoji with the finger pointing up going, what they said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Which is really good. But you got asked to be let in, and we let everybody in. What were we going to say, Brad? Yeah, I was just going to point out uh, Wednesdays, we have our New Heights segment, our post there that mm-hmm. people can, uh, you know, it's a time we encourage you to brag on yourself and share your wins, big or small. We love them all. I just want to highlight David at Tillinghast. Uh, he just posted this morning that his next indie EP comes out July 1st. So congrats and good luck with that, David. Cool. And everybody else that's having wins right now, we want to hear about them. That's right. We're about to dig into this one right here. But uh, before we do that real quick, just make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume podcasts. Make sure that you tell a friend about it. That's the best thing you can do for us. If you found some value out of this, man, tell somebody about it because it means more coming from you than it does coming from us. And leave a rating and review. We're trying to get to 200. So we want to make sure that that happens. That's right. Brett, who are we going to talk to today? Well, I'll go ahead and do the intro. We'll just get right into it. Born in Belleville, Illinois, and raised on a wide range of music, today's guest moved to Nashville in 2009 to hone his craft as a songwriter. He has had numerous cuts by various independent artists and won the grand prize in the 2017 John Lennon Songwriting Contest. As the songwriting evolved, he caught the attention of singer-songwriter Phil Vassar, who asked him to write and invited him to open for him on his stripped-down tour. And that was just announced that today's guest signed his first publishing deal with the highly respected Seagale Music. And he's not just a guest. He has admitted to being a climber himself. Brett Shiroki, welcome to The Climb. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here for sure. Man, we're glad you're here. You know, we don't do a lot of interviews on this show. So, uh, you know, if you listen a little bit, you know that. We only have, you know, it's kind of sprinkled throughout. But when I saw the press release of your deal with Seagale, I knew I wanted you on the show. And, And that's for one big reason. This is your first publishing deal. Yeah, I got mine. I got a few years on you, Brett. And (laughs) I signed my first deal back in 2005. So it's been a minute. And I really wanted to dive into the path you took in today's music business to get a staff deal. Because, you know, I think it's even harder to do that now than it was in 2005 when I got mine. And it was not easy then. The weather's changed, let's say, in Nashville. The, the sea, you know, the yeah. sands have shifted. And I want to see if we can leave some breadcrumbs for the climbers out there that really are just dreaming of being where you are. And congratulations on the pub deal, by the way. Seagale's awesome. Yeah, man. And, and that's a great place to be. Congrats. Thank you. I'm very excited and feel very honored to be at Seagale for sure. They have a history of signing people who... Uh, we really take an interest in crafting songs, you know? So, uh, yeah, I feel honored to be on that roster. Yeah, good crew. So, you know, they say it's it's a 10-year town, and seeing that you moved to Nashville <laughs> in 2009, that sounds about right, isn't it? Yeah. I was just going to say that. I'm like, you know, give or take one year. <laughs> right. It's a 10-year town until you've been here 15 years, and it's a 15-year town. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask, tell me, start kind of from the beginning. Like, what was it that got you going, Brett, that you had to scratch this itch and just sort of bring us up to the moment in 2009 where you're like, I got to be in Nashville. Sure. You well, you know, I, uh, I'd always been a fan of songwriting. It always been like my dream, but it always felt like, uh, just that, you know, a dream. I was always kind of, uh, told to be, do the practical thing, go to school, get a job with insurance and all that. And, uh, that was just sort of where I was being steered with my life. And so I kind of just, 
you know, it was a dream, but I thought I kind of left it at that. And um, anyway, I, I went to school. I took an aptitude test. Actually, this is kind of funny. I took an aptitude test because I didn't know what I wanted to do other than that, you know, where it tells you like what you should be suited for. And the first thing on there was songwriter. <laughs> wow. And, uh, That's it, awesome. I know. I know <laughs> on what aptitude test does that freaking happen? I know. I didn't know I that know. was even possible. Was Rockstar another option? Like, I, I, know. Know. I think it was called Myers Briggs, I think was the name of it. A Myers, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But on there was a speech language pathologist, which I didn't even know what the heck that was. But uh, anyway, I took it. It's a fancy term for songwriter. Yeah. It's just uh, not put to music. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I took an intro to that class in in college and I was the only dude in there. And I was like, well, this isn't bad. And uh, it seemed like a, uh, you know, being a speech therapist, you can work in schools, you can work for yourself. It seemed like a thing that like, uh, I was still always going to do music, whether it was being in a cover band or whatever. But uh, that seemed like it would allow me a lot of times to do that still. So I kind of went with it, and uh, as I was in that program, I found out you have to have a master's to do it, and so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing that, and and so I ended up getting my master's in it, meeting my now wife in that program, and she was the one, actually, that was like, after, you know, we were getting married, she's like, you know, you have this dream, like, why don't you chase it? Like, we don't have kids, we don't have to stay here, we can go get jobs in Nashville, like, let's do it, and so she was really the one that talked me into doing it, and so we actually got married and moved here the next day. <laughs> wow. Are you kidding me? No. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a keeper right there. And I'm assume yeah. it's probably come up on several occasions over the past ten years. Like, hey, you talked me into this. You're the one that right. said this move right. here. Yeah, she right. deserves the reward and the criticism. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's a good defense thing. It's like, hey, you yeah, hey, you talked me into this. Got married, moved to Nashville the next day. That yeah. is dude, that's a movie right there. I love that. Yeah. That is great. Well. So first day in Nashville. How'd you yeah. feel? Uh, overwhelmed, you know, didn't know anybody. Uh, and I, had, at that point, I never even lived out of my house. I had lived with my mom through all through school. My dad passed away when I was in high school. And so I didn't want to leave my mom by herself. So I went to school locally and stayed at home. And uh, so it was like new city, you know, I never not lived at home and uh, new city, newly married, chasing this thing. Don't know how to do it. It was pretty overwhelming, <laughs> but uh, I bet. just went out, started doing what everyone does. I think a lot of people were kind of lost when they move here, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, started going to open mic nights and writers nights and trying to meet people and, and whatnot. And uh, actually four months after we moved here, I, I ended up getting diagnosed with cancer. So that kind of Whoa. took a oh, wow. I know. I know. It was like, welcome. All right. Now. But uh, dealt with that and, and uh, it was testicular cancer. And that's like a the treatment for that is like. I think it was two or three months long, sort of intensive. And um, I was all clear after that or whatever, but it kind of threw me off. It kind of threw me off chasing the dream like I should have been. And so for those Uh, next several years, for those next several years, I guess kind of started living life, just kind of fell back into the comfortable nine to five kind of thing. And uh, we have three kids, six, five and three. And after our oldest was born, she'll be seven in July, a switch kind of flipped on me that, uh, you know, I've been told my whole life to like do the practical thing. And mm-hmm. I just didn't want that for her. So the switch flipped in me. And I was like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to chase this thing. And at that point on, I've been going at like 150%, you know, for the last seven, six years, six and a half years. So that kind of was just working a day job full time, writing as many nights as possible with people who will write at night. Cause not many published writers, if any, will write at night unless they are friends with you or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or you have something going on too. Just trying to hone my craft, and I became a student of songwriting, not just by observing others, but really trying to push myself, just trying to make each song better every time I sat down and wrote a song. Yeah, I did that for a while, and then eventually uh, I was able to nab a part-time position. So I was working at the school district as a speech therapist, 
working part time and you, I was getting benefits. Uh, and then I picked up another job working part time, but was able to like write two days a week mm-hmm. during the day. And so that eventually turned into a different job where I was working part time, but making better money. So then I was writing three days a week. And then I did that for years, building my network of songwriters by going out and, and playing or just, you know, right with somebody instead of bringing me in on another one and, and meeting people that way. And um, eventually uh, I met Phil Vassar through a friend. I know that was something we were going to talk about. Sorry if I'm yeah. jumping the gun. No, it's good. <laughs> but, it's all good. But just basically through a mutual friend, man, um, they said, hey, you know, you should check this guy out. And he, he listened to some of my stuff and he asked me to get together and write. And we wrote and we kind of hit it off and, and we became friends and uh, wrote together for a while. And then he was doing the strip down tour. Uh, where it was just sort of like a songwriter storyteller kind of tour through January and February of, of this year. And he invited me to be his opener. And so we did that. And, and uh, luckily, I only had to go back to work for a little bit in March. And then uh, I haven't had to go back to work now. I got a deal. And so now I'm finally a professional songwriter. <laughs> That's awesome. And it, it was all easy and it happened the second day you hit town, obviously. So, yeah. man. That's right. right. Just one guy, right? Just one guy? You yeah. met one guy? One guy. Like, you were just there. <laughs> yeah. Smoking weed on the couch, yelling at your wife, and then yeah. the door knocked, and it's Phil Vassar, and he's like, I yeah. heard you might be a songwriter, and yeah. you're like, yeah, and he's like, well, do you have any songs? And you're like, well, no, I haven't written any, and then he was like, well, do you want to write together? And you said, yeah, and then it turns out you were right. It was amazing, and then you got to go on tour, and then you got a deal, right? That's the way it happened? Yeah, just like in the show. Just like yeah, that. Nashville. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one thing I'd like to dig into a little bit is I think it's interesting the journey went, okay, you know, you got full time kind of doing the comfortable thing and the sensible quote unquote thing. And then you started kind of phasing that out, going to part time, that kind of stuff. So was your wife working as well? Were you two income family? I'm just kind of curious the logistics of not to get too deep in the weeds, but. Yeah, she's working. She's been working as well the the whole time. Um, Like I said earlier, she's the one that taught me to move in here. She's really become like the rock of our family. She's my hero. In all honesty, I say that and I don't even bat an eye. She is my hero. And and, uh, I owe so much of it to her that she put up with this and stood behind it and and just kept faith that it was going to happen someday. And we really, for the last you know, six and a half years, we, we built our life around making this thing happen with mm-hmm. the jobs that we took yeah, with, around songwriting with, with, yeah, just being able to do more of it and eventually getting a deal and, and cuts and, and whatnot. And so, I mean, it was all chips in and it has been all chips in sacrificing family time and going on vacations and stuff. Cause I'm not working as much, you know, we mm-hmm. don't have as much money and just, uh, betting on it happening. So I owe uh, arguably all of it to her. <laughs> Yeah, it is a partnership. And that's one thing, you know, I find interesting because I'd already turned pro and was doing it for a living when I met my now wife. And so the horrible thing about that was she came in when I just had a single on the charts. So, you know, financially, it was not the norm. And I had to warn her, like, listen, (laughs) this is not like an everyday thing. This is really rare, you know, but there's no way you can be prepared for that. Would you have any advice, you know, and it's great to have a supportive partner. And that's amazing. A couple Mm -hmm. things. I want to point out is that people will have to sacrifice oh, yeah. to make this dream come true. It is not easy. You're competing against people like Brett that are building their family and sacrificing and going part-time and not making as much money, not going on vacation to fund the dream. You're competing against people like me. You're competing against everybody to do this. And no one gets a free pass. Everyone has to sacrifice. But what advice would you have, you kind of looking back now, 
for people that are in the position you were in, say, two, three years ago, going, okay, I'm chasing this thing. I got a family. I got some kids. Almost like, hey, let's play marital counselor here. You know, because I've certainly mm-hmm. made mistakes. I've burned up a lot of emotional equity, you know, with my wife and had to rebuild bridges and stuff. Because at times, music and songwriting got out of the box it should have been in, you know, and it mm-hmm. became more important than marriage at times. Right. And I would never say that like, oh, well, if you put the two in front of me, I had to choose. But it's those little decisions every day that mm-hmm. really where the rubber meets the road. Any advice kind of looking back for people that are in that situation now? Because you said you sacrificed a lot of family time and that kind of stuff. Any kind of communication or anything else that you would... In terms relative to like a, a spouse or yeah. a support system? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, the advice is for both the writer, artist, and, and the spouse or whoever... Uh, it's just that it's going to be hard and you're either in it or you're not. And I, I think for us, it was just basically like, are we going to make this thing happen or not? Because if, if we are, then it's going to have to be these sacrifices. It's going to have to be, like you said, you don't, you would never consciously make a choice to choose music business over your family, but you end up doing that sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I would say the music business really kind of demands that of you. This isn't a hobby, you know, it's mm-hmm. something that you have to devote your life to, to make it happen. And at least in my case it was. And, mm-hmm. um, I think you just have to know that going in and, and know that if you're on the same team, you're on the same team and it's going to be rough. And just like anything, you know, marriage in general, <laughs> you're going to yeah. fight or whatever, but, uh, at the end of the day, you're on the same team and keep that in mind and, and give yourself some grace when you need it. And, but you have to make it the priority sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Here's times. what I love about that, because I want to clarify something. Well, obviously it's very accurate that when you use the phrase you have to choose the music industry or your family. It sounds a little binary. I think it's more gray area Mm -hmm. in that. I think the other part of that is that what you're teaching your children, not by telling them anything, but by doing it, by living it, is that go do what you love to do. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be a corporate groundhog slave or whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't need to live the dichotomy. Like, this is something that I believe in. This is something that I work very hard at getting better at. This is something that I take in a very, very sober way. You understand exactly what's entailed and the work that has to be put in to become a better craftsman, to be the networker. All the nuances that go with being a professional in any field, you're doing it and you're showing them that, you know, as opposed to people who told you, hey, you need a backup plan. You got to do this. You got to do that. No, if you really want to do it and you're smart about it and you work hard and you have a work ethic, then you can do it. And God bless you for having a partner that wants to do it. But it's at the same time, I think you're teaching them freedom. I think you're teaching them at least one way. And there's a million ways to skin the cat, but you're teaching them. Here's one way to choose happiness. Mm -hmm. right? Right. And not be this bitter person that doesn't have what's going on in their life going on in their life. And it comes with all these speed bumps and roadblocks and everything. But yes, you can do it. And happiness is a choice you make every day. And the choice you made was you and your wife got together and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to move to Nashville. We're going to continue. She put up with a lot of crap from you having to come home late at night because you had to be out networking or you were writing after work. But all those things happen because It wasn't necessarily like choosing the industry so much over your family, but saying, we're going to be able to make a living doing something that we love to do. And when you have two parents who love to get up in the morning, go to work. That's a happier home. That's that's a different story, right? It's not like, oh, Monday morning, boo. Right. 
is Sunday over yet? Like, I got some ideas. I can't wait to get in that room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the first time in my life, I, I actually posted about this when I announced on Instagram that about the deal that uh, this is the first time in my life where I like wake up on Monday excited about work. Like I've never had that before. And uh, even thinking about it now, I start to tear up because, you know, that's not something most people get. I don't think. I think that's absolutely that's right. true. It's most people. Most people aren't willing to work for it like way you did. You know, most people are Sunday grouches because they know Monday's coming and most heart attacks happen on Monday morning. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is a blessing. And I'm blessed to be that way, too. I'm looking forward to Monday because, you know, I was like, well, the weekends, I'm in some ways like, yeah, I got this itch. I want to scratch it again. It's good to have family time, but it's all kind of weekend. Not that it, we're playing, but it's like every day is a good day. And that is such a blessing that most people don't get. Right. And to right. use that wisely, you know, is a challenge too right. to go, okay, how do I operate in that with the way that I can, I get to keep this, <laughs> you know? Right. One other thing to point out, like, let's just go back on the story that he just told and how I think again, like binary, right? We are sort of trained almost by like the news media to think binary. You're either this or you're this. It's one or the other and there's no gray area, but you didn't sit down and have to make this decision in looking in the eyes of your family of, okay, am I going to give up my day job and do this? It happened incrementally, right? Correct. Yes. You went from a full-time job to a part-time job, which all of a sudden now gave you, and why did that happen? Because you were aware that you needed to make some room during the day in the week to write. And also your eyes were open and you saw an opportunity that maybe you wouldn't have looked at, but now all of a sudden, oh, here's a part-time job with benefits. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you said you freed up like one or two days a week, right? And right. then you got a different job that allowed you to make a little more money so you could keep the income where it was. And it gave you three days a week riding during the day. You're on the hunt. Right. So you're looking for that broken twig in the woods. You're looking for little signs of what you're hunting for that are going to put you on the right path. You know, I think that has to be said. Right. Yeah, Brett, w yeah. when you switch to like the part-time thing, I'm looking at the balance. And, and again, just to me, the whole service of this is trying to leave some breadcrumbs for, for other climbers out there. Yes, sir. When you went part-time, obviously you give up income, you gain time. And for the family, right. were you able to say like, okay, I'm going to be home a little bit more at night than not gone as much because I'm doing more writing during the day. Was that part of like the trade-off thing? Because that, well, that would be definitely what my wife would be like, okay, well, you're going to be home more then, right. <laughs> you know? Well, in my case specifically, the job that I moved to that made more money also allowed me to work weekends. So oh, that I okay. could write during the week. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Sunday is kind of held as like the time with my family, but Mm -hmm. as an independent, you know, hopefully up and coming songwriter, artist, you have to wear all the hats. You know, you have to be a videographer, a photographer, a social Mm -hmm. media person. And then, you know, I I started making my own demos, got a little loan to to buy some stuff to do that. And so like, it was really kind of like every waking moment I was doing something for the music thing. I would come home from work and then write, or I would work on demos until wee hours in the morning, you know? Yeah. Um, So it really wasn't a specific like you know I, I try to keep Sundays free um, but it's just like I said one of those things what I meant by you know like you, sometimes you choose the business over your family like it just when it sort of happens and like those moments of like I could have gone down there and hung out with them and play with the kids or whatever but mm-hmm. I knew I had to get this thing done uh, I had to get this idea together for the next day I had to get this demo done and you end up kind of doing that because like when else are you going to do it yeah and uh, there's just not enough hours in the day and so you kind of default on and I think there's value in both you know like as long as there's a balance there's value in both though because they are watching you work right yeah I hope so they're watching you take something seriously and you're not just sitting around going well I'm just piddling I got a college education I'm worth $200,000 and until somebody shows up at my front door (laughs) to give me that money everything else is beneath me sure Hopefully they've learned that. It's been a struggle for sure. I've many conversations with my wife, like, am I doing the right thing? I feel like I'm being a bad father, you know, and but missing all this stuff. And, and she is always quick to remind me, like, no, you're teaching them to go for something that they, that there's their dream, you know, and to be yes. happy with your life. And that's what they're learning. And so that's awesome. Yeah. You know, Hopefully that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, we're almost already just about 30 minutes in. So let's start diving into the Seagale stuff. Like, how did you sure. start getting on their radar? I'd like to kind of talk through the, the kind of the courting process of doing this deal. Did you have cuts before Seagale? Okay. So this is where it gets weird. So I came off of this tour with Phil and that ended in mid-February. And I had been meeting with publishers for years, you know. I'm at CSAC. And so like my CSAC reps would set me up with publisher meetings and, and you know, I'd get rights out of that or whatever, but I get on their radar, but nothing ever happened. But coming off this tour with Phil, I was wanting to like try to use that as momentum. So it wasn't just like, all right, tour's over now back to where I was. I was trying to use it for something. So I went to my CSEC rep and um, asked her to set up some meetings, reach out to people if they would meet with me. And I just happened to have three one week and uh, <laughs> I got three offers that week. Wow. This nice. is after years of not having anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, in that process of meeting with people, I think after my second meeting, I got a call and Granger Smith had put one of my songs on hold. And then uh, that following week, Brad Paisley put one of my songs on hold. And so it was like within like a, within like a week and a half, two songs on hold and numerous offers. Actually, at that time, I had more. When they say nothing happens and then it all happens at once. That's mm-hmm. exactly how it happened to me. Wow. So I don't, I don't know. I, I can't really explain that. And I always figured it was like once someone sees that someone else is interested and they're interested, but they really didn't even know about each other. It just all kind of happened within the same several days. So I don't know. The universe, God finally just said, all right, it's here. It's time. <laughs> nice. I don't know. 
I so guess, how did the you've done the work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Granger Smith and the Brad Paisley stuff. So you're an independent songwriter at this point. How did those songs yeah. get to those guys uh, to get on hold okay. in the first place? So I had met with uh, prior. Uh, am I allowed to name to name people on here? I don't even know. Is that a, yeah? Heck yeah. If you want the business, as, okay. long as, as long as it's a good thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> or not. Either way, it's you saying it, not us. This <laughs> uh, So I had met Sierra Shortridge. Uh, is this her name? She used to run the creative department at Disney music publishing here in town. And I just mm-hmm. happened to get a random meeting there through someone I wrote with and they heard one of my songs and she became a champion of mine for sure. And there was a couple of those songs, including the Granger and the Brad one. Uh, she had just been pitching because she just believed in the songs and she had pitching around town. And during those meetings, uh, she had called me and told me, Hey, I just heard from over at Broken Bow, um, the guy that I wrote the song with was playing it out, and the people at Broken Bow heard it and were reminded of it, and they sent it to Granger, and he was like, yeah, I want that. And so she called me, asked me if it would be cool if I put it on hold for him, and we're like, absolutely. Yeah. And then somehow, I think through her, again, she had pitched this other song over at Sony months prior, and... Who knows how or why, but they just that at that time they picked it up for Brad. But you know, I owe a lot to her from just believing in the song, those songs, and, and pitching them when she didn't really have to. You know, I wasn't signed there or anything, and, mm-hmm. and Disney longer exists. She is over at Curb now, but um, yeah, that's now. Really, how did you how did you create the relationship with her? Uh, it was a just a just. Like, she, how did that start? She heard some of my songs with people that she, uh, I guess that she were on her radar already that I had written with those writers and uh, heard the demos coming in and uh, just was like, I want to meet with this guy. So we just met and hit it off in the meeting and I played her some more songs that she liked and she started, you know, started pitching them. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a question then. Uh, There's a lot of amateur writers out there that are, or even mid-level writers that are certainly have a fear. You know, I think there's a general fear of success that people have, Right. Mm-hmm. They feel like maybe they're deep down inside, they're not worthy of it. And there's a fear of being vulnerable, right? There's a fear that if you really, really put yourself out there and you fail, there'll be some kind of shame involved. Sure. So one of the byproducts of that is where people sort of approach a possible career in songwriting in their mind. And they associate it like with a lemonade stand. Well, I'm going to pay these $3 for these lemons and this sugar. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to sell it. And then once we make a profit, we'll do it again. So they have like three songs and they're just going to try to push those songs the best that they can, which is usually like half-assed, if I'm being honest, you know. And then they just want to wait until somebody gives them some kind of validation before they make the mental sort of spiritual move to continue down the road. What do you say to that? Um, I've thought about that actually a lot. And I think there are always going to be people who just don't think you can do it because it's a dream and most people don't chase their dreams. Right. And so there's just that. And you'll see it. The same people that just are like, OK, you're going to do that. OK. And then you sign a deal and they're like, dude, I knew you, I knew it was going to happen. Like you're like, OK, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's just there, there's it's just that's just the way it is. But I think what it comes down to and I tell people this, you know, people that are moving to town that, I, that I've met and write with, I'm like, no one is going to believe in you as much as yourself. You have to believe in yourself like mm-hmm. you have to be your biggest fan. And to that, the validation for me, I had to really just believe like, okay, I'm such a fan of songwriting. I want to get better at it. I want to be one of those songwriters that everyone in town knows. And maybe I won't be everyone's favorite songwriter, but I want to be their favorite songwriter's favorite songwriter. Like that was my approach. Okay. I want to be really good at this craft. And the validation of being happy with the songs that I'm writing and being proud of those, that was the validation I chased. And I just felt like if I wrote those songs, then the other part would just fall into place. You know what I mean? 
Uh, and I just kind yeah. of trusted and I just kind of have been for years been trusting in that process. The, if it's a good and you, song, so you focus on the craft. Yeah, you exactly. On the craft. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. I felt, and I felt like the cream will rise, you know? Yeah. I so, think that's right. Great songs make networking a whole lot easier. Sure. <laughs> you know, you still sure. need the networking, but great songs make it a whole lot easier because people are actually drawn to you because word gets around. Sure. So w- with, uh, and I, I love mm-hmm. how the co-write thing kind of either directly or indirectly led you to this lady. I forgot her name at Disney that yep. short Ridge. Um, mm-hmm. then went and shopped your songs. You know what I mean? So there's another right. thing, right? Like the right. co-write, like there's other people that have, all of a sudden you're tapping into their relationship network. And as long as you're focused on making it good, then you can do that. One other quick question. Do you think that there was a certain marquee value that came from the Phil Vassar tour that sort of puts you on the radar screen of people where, you know, we say that in the marketing thing, you're a writer, you're an artist, you have the curse of knowledge. So you can hear something once and you can pull it apart six ways from Sunday. You see it three-dimensionally. You're listening to the kick. You're like, that's a P bass. That sounds like James Mitchell on guitar. <laughs> you know, you even know like stylistically like what's going on. But for the average listener, the first time they heard the debut single from Tim McGraw was really like the seventh time that they heard it. And I think that's human nature to the degree in the business where, man, you've probably been bubbling up on a couple different places, people have heard that song or heard a song from you or heard your name in different circles over the years in passing. And at first they hear your name and it goes in one ear and out the other because they don't know you. They're not familiar with you. They don't know that they should be paying attention to you yet. But then you keep working, you keep networking. And all of a sudden that name comes across a few more times and, and maybe enough times where they're like, you know what? Who's this Brett character? Like, I got to look into him. And then the phone rings and they're back to business. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden now it's a little more important, but still. And then all of a sudden you're on this tour and they see that. They see that in the trades. They hear that from other friends. Now they recognize the name, right? Now they have this sort of subconscious recognition of the name. You are familiar to them, but now you're on this other role on this tour. Do you think that kind of happens like that? Like, how do you feel like, was there some kind of marquee value from that, that maybe all of a sudden just bursted it wide open? Like I've heard about this guy enough. Let's talk to him, you know, let's give him a deal. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I've thought about that. You always want to tear yourself down (laughs) and say, well, it wasn't on my own thing. What, what, what happened for me that that got me in front of these other people, but I'm not exactly sure. No, just being in the, in the conversations and the meetings that I was with these publishers again it happened within just you know, a week's time the meetings came about because they heard my songs and they're like well that's why i wanted to meet with you and and they're like so what have you been doing and i, I would tell them like uh, about the phil thing and you know maybe they were putting on a show or not but they all they all seemed like they didn't know that about me you know what i mean like they hadn't gone and, well, and but even but even then it, it still counts it still sure, counts sure, though, right sure. yeah, oh true phil vassar yeah it yeah. doesn't hurt at all no it helps for sure so <laughs> and i think i think there is that like even now talking with you know the team over seagale and, and sort of the strategy and you know this is an artist development thing as well and there is just a validation that has to occur for you to climb that ladder, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you have the right people talk, saying the right things about you. And I do think that, like, you could have the best song in the world and you still need other pieces to do something, you know? Yeah. It's just the way the business is. Yeah. So coming back to the Seagull thing, now, when you got the offer from Seagull, what was that kind of timeline like from your first kind of meeting over there to, like, did you have several meetings? Was it one meeting? Did they hook you up with co-writes in between? What was that 
process like over there? No, that was breakfast and an offer. <laughs> it was one one meeting. <laughs> oh wow, which is which is weird. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What'd you eat for breakfast? Yeah. Do what? I'll have what he's having. What'd you have for breakfast? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> it was a Jay Christopher's. It was just some kind of pancake, egg, hash brown thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so order pancakes and hash browns uh, right. if you go to Jay a breakfast pub meeting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, had, yeah. so I guess they'd been hearing your stuff before and they'd reached out. Is that how that meeting yeah, came about then? The, my CSEC rep on that one, my CSEC rep sent in a group of songs and that was kind of, for them, that was, that was it. That was the catalyst for them wanting to move forward. And, Man, uh, that's awesome. and that, that they had asked if I, you know, like, are you meeting with anybody else? And I said, you know, I was or whatever. And so mm-hmm. that process, I, you know, I had uh, several other meetings already on the calendar that I was going to take. And, um, I told them that, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. just was lucky enough to have multiple offers and then had to kind of decide what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go and what felt like home. And so that kind of went on for several weeks. And then that was like right when the tornado thing hit and then the COVID mm-hmm. thing. And, and, uh, <laughs> I think it slowed down maybe a little bit because of that, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think from that meeting to officially accepting the deal was maybe a month, maybe. Wow. So had you half. written with any of their writers before? Did you have any songs already in that catalog? Uh-uh. No, wow, that's awesome. With any of the writers. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you started doing your own demos and actually took out some money to invest in, I guess, some studio gear. Would you call yourself a track guy? Would other people look at you as a track guy or more of a top um, liner? I think some people would look at me as a track guy, but I, I don't. I'm not. I just learned it out of a necessity of not being able to afford, not having a demo budget and having yeah. to learn how to do it myself. And so... It was just sitting down there and on uh, Logic and on, a, on the Mac and learning how to mix and just record stuff. I, I've always been sort of a student of recording and listening to the albums and records and how they're how the parts are kind of done and panning mm-hmm. and low parts and high parts and you know just sort of like that tension release kind of game of a, of a recording. Mm-hmm. And so that part kind of felt more natural to me. But learning how to do it. And, that took time too. So yeah. Is that uh, something Seagale is encouraging you to do more of, or are they just not talking about a lot? Or are they encouraging you just to focus on the co-writes and then not spend too much time in the studio? I know people have different theories on that. Sure. As it is right now, I've been kind of booked maybe like four days a week. And I use uh-huh. that, you know, they put it as an idea day in your calendar. Uh, yeah. But I use that to try to knock out a demo is what I, you know, I use that for. So, so far that's been helpful. And still on Saturdays, I'll probably spend half the day up there knocking yeah. something out too. I've been used to working on Saturdays for so long now that it's kind of hard <laughs> to turn it off. I but, got uh, you. Yeah. But yeah, right now it's just co-writing and, and forming relationships. And I've been lucky enough to get in some pretty big rooms already and just trying to hit it off, be a good hang as an important mm-hmm. part of co-writing Yes, and uh, trying to get that, find the people that kind of speak the same language as you. Cause you can't have the mindset of like, all right, if I can just get in the room with Shane McAnally or, or you know, Craig Wise, and then I'll be set. Like, it's not how it works. You, you right. click with people you click with. And a lot of times, nine times out of 10, you're still going to write the best songs with your friends, you mm-hmm. know, just cause you know each other intimately as a songwriter and you trust each other and speak the same language. So. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so you, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think there's chemistry. As a, as I tell people, like, hey, they're gonna be two really good looking people. It doesn't mean they're gonna fall in love, right? You know, it, there's a chemistry kind of aspect to it that, and personality and all that stuff that you don't know until sometimes right. you get in the room. And two really good people can have ugly babies too. You know, there you know. Go. <laughs> yeah, that's weird right. when that happens, isn't it? Oh, we cancel <laughs> each other, other out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the artist yeah. stuff, I'm curious about that. 
so I mean, you open shows for Phil. I know you have your own songs out there and available, that sort of thing. Is that something that you kind of bring to the table that you think drew people to you? Because it seems like a lot of writers these days that you see, you know, all the press releases for writers are like writer, artist, writer slash producer, writer slash whatever. Do you think CEO looks at you as a like a slash writer? Like, hey, here's maybe a, an, a budding artist that we can develop and, and work that angle as well? Right. Yeah. That was a conversation from the get go, you know, when they asked like what I was looking to do. And I moved here to be a songwriter, but since then the artist thing has become like my passion. And that was a very intentional conversation from the, from the get go. And they, and they knew that, and then they were on board with that. And and so this publishing deal is in part sort of like an artist development thing. They're building that side of things as well. Does that answer your question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's true. Cause I've just known that you had that artist component, you know, was that basically a selling point or not? And something that you wanted to pursue? Cause again, I know so many yeah. writers getting that's signed a have, a, yeah. have a slash call them slash right. songwriters because they're songwriter slash producer. They could be the track guy or they can right. be the singer. Right. I think it probably doesn't hurt. And I think you guys have talked about this. I've listened to, you know, listen to your podcast for a year and a half or so now. I think, you know, having as many things that you can do, you know, if you're an artist, if you're a writer and you're a producer and you're a musician, like get rid of as many things you can that they can tell you know about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just try to make yourself a jack of all trades as much as you can. And then that just incentivizes them to be able to use you in some capacity and want you in some capacity, you know? Um, yeah, the, there are more rooms so. you fit in. I look at it like Velcro. You know, Velcro, if you look at it closely, it's just a bunch of little bitty hooks. Hooks and loops, right? And so just like a song can have a bunch of little hooks in it, you know, to try and grab on. It's like I want to be like Velcro. I have a lot of hooks. Right. To, to right. You know, you can't peel me off this town kind of thing. Right. That's good stuff. I know we probably need to be closing down here soon. But, John, do you have any, any last questions or anything? I'm you probably do. I just want you to be on the cover of American Songwriter magazine soon. Oh, I that think makes, that makes two um, of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, once again, I want to congratulate you. I mean, you. I love the realness of this store. Dude, you earned it. You know, put that badge mm-hmm. on your jacket and Thank wear you. it proudly because this is how mm-hmm. success happens. It's not one chance meeting where it all blows up. Like if the headline was just like he went on a tour with Phil Vassar and then he got a pub deal, that's not the story, right. you mm-hmm. know, that happened. So I love that you did that work. And I think all the railroad track you laid down your whole life building up to this, even before you got to Nashville, is what resulted in you being able to capitalize on some opportunities. And then you're right, it all kind of happens. Like, you know, maybe Seagull would have had a different momentum on board if you didn't have two other offers on the table sure that stuff's real you know they're right. like okay we don't want to let him get away like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. like move on this now we already like him let's just go you know we right. don't have to double think it um so congratulations on that brett you got anything else you want to oh no i appreciate it. I, I do appreciate you saying that because uh at the end of the day, you know, I weigh a lot of life decisions as, as I call them deathbed decisions. Well, mm-hmm. when I'm on my deathbed, what's going to suck more, you know, this or that. And that's kind of like how that. I make a lot I of my decisions. That. And which is part of the reason I decided to chase this dream. Like what's going to hurt more that I didn't make it or that I didn't try, yeah. you know, hands down that I didn't try would hurt more. So, but throughout this whole process, regardless of what happens, if I never, you know, if I never get a songwriter of the year or a number one or whatever, uh, the thing I'd be most proud of anyway is just the fact that I worked my tail off and, and got here and made it happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I that's for people listening, there's there's so much value in that, just working really hard for something, you know? Yeah. I echo Johnny, you know, you definitely earned it. And the thing about Nashville is there are a lot of people who earn it that don't get it. 
And so sure. it's it's a mix of hard work and blessing. And, you know, you've been blessed and you've also earned it. But a lot of people that earn it don't get it. <laughs> so, you know, and I know that you appreciate that. And, and being in town as long as you have been, you've seen a lot of that. I mean, you've seen probably like I have a lot of people. You're like, they're awesome. And they're moving back home. It didn't happen. Yeah. Why is that not happening for that person? But sure. uh Man, congratulations. Thanks for spending your, your morning with us to, to talk to us about your journey. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be a great value to the climbers. Seeing that you do have you know your artist stuff and everything, where can folks find and follow you on social media and all that good stuff? We want to make as many Brett Cherokee fans out there as possible. I'm all over the internet. Uh, I'm BrettCherokee.com, Instagram, BrettCherokee, Facebook, BrettCherokee Music, and then now on Seagale's website. And mm-hmm. then I'm on Spotify. Spell Cherokee. S-H-E-R- Okay, why? Please check me out on Spotify, Apple, everywhere else you can stream music to. Excellent. All right, climbers. Well, throw him some love. This brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating and review. We're trying to get to 200. Join the climb community and tell a friend about it. You see what happens? Like, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that... uh, because he listened to the climb, he no, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> we're just we're just proud to call you a climber, and best of luck to you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank all you right. all so much. Oh, and this podcast exists because we want you to win, like Brett. So keep <laughs> on climbing, and we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.